Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning everyone. Hi, nice to see you. If you're wondering if I was late or overslept, um, no. I, I preached at Tableview this morning. It was uh, we, uh, Mark Van Pletzen, who, who oversees the Tableview site. He's away at a conference up in Durban. Um, but we get to be at one church in three locations. So it's such a privilege to be able to do that from time to time. Oh, you're here, Brett. I didn't know that. Sorry. There you go. But uh, before I preach this morning, I uh, just want to do one last quick thing as a family. Um, where's Kate? Where's Kate? There, Kate, come on up very quickly. This is our good friend Kate. She gets married in uh, two weeks, week, under two weeks. And uh, the, the, the exciting thing is she gets married. The sad thing for us, the sad reality, is that because her husband is at the Tableview congregation, now they're becoming one flesh. They think it's a good thing to go to church together and stuff, you know. So um, with that said, Kate has been a part of with us since we began at the beginning of Milton, and has been an incredible blessing. She's uh, been a part of, she's led a home group in this community. Um, she's uh, helped with serving, set up stuff. She's been on announcements and loving people. Just uh, we want to say you've been an amazing blessing here, Kate. And uh, really thank you so much for pouring your life into this church and very exciting. And please come and visit us lots because we're going to miss you. But um, here's just a small little thing, some flowers. Say thank you. And uh, very cool. Before you go, wait, 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 wait. And uh, we're going to just pray for it. That's all right. So these are exciting things where God brings two people together who love Jesus. And we're trusting that this is going to be an, an amazing two weeks, but actually that the best is ahead of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing girl. We thank you, God, for the fact that you have brought a spouse alongside her for, for, for this, this new journey, season of a journey. I thank you, Father God, that you are preparing their hearts for greater things. I thank you, Father God, that as we, in a sense, release her to go join the Tableview community as her, her base, I thank you, God, she doesn't leave our hearts, though, God. We thank you for the impact that she's poured in here. We thank you, Jesus, for the dual blessing of the fact that she can go and be a blessing there and the fact that she leaves space here for other people to step up and be a blessing in that space. So I thank you, Father, for the fact that this is never a loss. It's just only gains in the kingdom. But we pray your blessing in favor of her for the next two weeks of their wedding. And we trust you, God, that you are good and the best is still to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thanks, Kate. If we have not met yet, or if you're new for the first time today, my name is Gabe Phillips. I'm married to Fiona, and that's a noisy little redhead uh, sitting on her own seat today is Olivia Grace. And nice to have you, Henry. Very nice to see you. It's really, really good to have you here. We've been praying lots for you. So it's really good to have you here. And Olivia, just uh, don't not try and out-preach me, please. But it's good. But it's really a privilege. Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. But while you're turning there and before we read it, if you want to wrestle in your pages or look on your iPhones for that chapter, it will be on the screen. But before we do that, we're starting a new series called uh, The Best Kept Secret. And uh, this is just going to be wedged in. We've got Vision Sunday next week, so this today and then the two weeks after Vision Sunday. And it's reminding us of the secrets, the mysteries that God has for you and I that, are, that we need to lay a hold of and believe with all our hearts if we're going to walk into the fullness of who He's called us to be. But I'm a man who loves a good secret. Now, what I say about secrets is not meaning a good gossip or a good, uh, have you heard about X, Y, and Z? No, no, no. I, I love a good secret when it contains good news. For example, there's been a couple, a few couples in the last little while who've been struggling to fall pregnant that we've been praying for. And over the last course of two weeks, we've had two couples come and whisper in our ears, hey, don't tell anyone yet, but we're pregnant. And everything inside of me leaps and I'm like, 
God, I just tell everyone. It's like we've been praying. This is amazing. So I don't tell anyone. If you ask me these things, I'm a vault locked down. But my wife and I are one flesh. So I tell her everything. Just so I'll let you know. <laughs> so if you say don't tell anyone, I'm like, okay. But this means I will tell people most probably. Because we can share an excite, exciting news. And we, we were like, come on. And we just can't wait till they announce it to everyone. But, uh, so just wash my eyes. No, I'm joking. So I won't do that. But um, Brett and Shirley. No. <laughs> it wasn't Brett and Shirley. I feel like I'm prophesying this morning. Already. Just a joke, guys. Just a joke. Okay? But, um, but secrets are great things. When it's good news you want to share, you want to tell it. When you're like, ah, it's so good. Or, or maybe it's a story that's just so funny. You're like, and someone says, please don't tell. But this is what happened to me. And you're like, oh, my word, I've got to tell that story. It's one such occasion happened to me. And I went to America last year. Yeah, if some of you might be aware. And uh, something happened there, an incident. And I phoned Fee and I said, Fee, this is the story of what happened. And halfway through of that story, she was giggling uncontrollably. And I knew there's no point in me saying it because it was not going to happen. But I said, Fee, please don't tell anyone. But I knew that she was already texting or she was telling. So there was, I'm like, this story was just it's too good. Or t-. I was like, oh. So before we, I'd even finished, Mark was SMSing me saying, Gabe, I heard. I'm like, thanks, Fee. Thanks, Fee. But you know what? I'm going to get ahead of the curve because we're family here. And I think you guys can uh, cope with the secret. But please, can I stay here? Can I stay here? Everyone okay? Can, can I trust you all? Okay, good. Just checking. Um, I thought I'd get ahead just of the curve before anyone else would tell my story so I can give the truth, the full truth and nothing but the truth of what happened. I went to the privilege to go to America to visit some churches and, and some ministry over there. And uh, I was at the top of New York State, Rochester, which is two hours drive away from Niagara Falls. And the family I was staying with said, hey, on the Saturday in between the, the Friday ministry and the Sunday church, We'll drive you up to Niagara Falls. We'll take you with us. So I jumped in the car with seven people and we went all the way up there. It was incredible. It was outstanding. It was one of those moments where you're like, oh, wow, this is much better than the picture. You know, those moments like this is incredible. But uh, on the way home, the point of the story is not the, the visit to Niagara Falls. On the way home in the car with seven people packed in a, in a vehicle, you know, they always put the two smallest guys in the back. In this case, it was the 11-year-old and me um, in the back. And uh, what happened was, you know, I should have been thinking and pondering over the incredible beauty of Niagara Falls. And wow, just seen one of, the, one of these majestic wonders. And, but no, my thoughts weren't on that because um, there was a different rumbling going on. Because uh, we had had lunch quite a few hours before. And uh, in the midst of excitement, I hadn't planned the toilet visit, visit properly. So I was in the car. And you know that moment where you're going, don't be the guy who says, how long do we have to go? But as the car started to go and we're driving and... and uh, you know, I just started to say to you guys, is it, is it hot in here or is it, is it just me? As the sweat started to pour in my face. You know when you that pain look and you're leaning forward like you're listening. Mm, yeah, yeah, great conversation. Leaning forward. I felt like a charismatic preacher sweating. Like, does someone have a handkerchief? But uh, it, was getting, it was getting quite exciting. And uh, as, as, the, as we, I did well, I contained everything there. Like, uh, turn the volume up. Don't want to hear the rumblings. Turn the volume up. And we pull into the driveway, and I'm like, oh, we're nearly there. And as we pull in, I see there's a whole bunch of other cars that have parked outside because knowing there was an African preacher coming, they invited some of the young people for a, for a barbecue, you know, coming over for that evening. I was like, ah, oh, I'm so excited to see them all. So I said, hey, just like, whisper to the Jose before I just need to pop to the loo. So I didn't go to the loo. They're all gathered in the lounge downstairs. I didn't go to the loo right by the lounge. I thought, let me go, let me go up, you know, wisdom. Go upstairs, the upstairs bathroom, the family bathroom, you know. The nice one. So I went in there, shut the door, and, um, and you know, I don't want to spare you the details because this is church. But let me just say, once the bondage of the enemy was lifted off my life, <sighs> I felt freedom. I was like, oh, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for what you've done. I got up. I was washing my hands. 
after, and I looked across the loo, and I said, that's strange. I didn't know toilets flush that way in America. In Africa, when you flush the loo, the waters go down. Why is the water coming up? <laughs> and as I pondered these mysteries, the water stopped just at the level, just in time. And I wondered, what ensued was the longest two minutes of my life. As the sweat returned, <laughs> I started to think, I just, you know, I was just staring. What do I do? You shut the lid and open it again. It's still there. So I just panicked. After a while, I heard the talking downstairs going on. I thought, I can't stay up here forever. I wish I could. But I thought, did the only thing I could do. So I opened the door slightly, a little bit ajar. Looked out. The 11-year-old I traveled with was upstairs. I said, Davy, Davy, come, 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 come. So Davy, what? He came in. I said, Davy, does this happen often? He went, No. So in his 11-year-old wisdom, he said, Gabe, let's check the cistern. I'm like, Davey, you're sharp, you're sharp. Let's check the cistern. So he took the lid off, and I looked inside, and I'm not a plumber, but I saw there was a plug. And what I know about plugs is when you unplug something, water disappears, usually. But this system obviously works differently. So as I pulled the plug, let me just say, the joy was overflowing. (laughs) The blessing of God just, just poured out. And at this moment, when you have nothing left to do, I just, the, 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 the waters of whatever was just flowing. I, I just started to laugh uncontrollably into the corner. And Davies, he, he reacted well. He said, he opens the door and yells down and says, Dad, Dad, we need you. So I wondered, did not think, I was thinking, what are they thinking is going on up here? The dad walked up and he didn't even look at me, ran up and he said, Davy, get the plunger, get the plunger. And I was just laughing. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I just said, Usually doesn't go this way. And uh, I've used the toilet before, I promise. And, uh, and he just said, Gabe, go get the towels. So I got the towels. I was putting them down. And, and, and the, you know when the, the noise and the chatter downstairs goes really quiet? Because they're like, <laughs> Davey running with a plunger. Like, what the heck's going on? So the, they sorted out the situation. And I was just there standing in the corner going, this is awkward. And they all went downstairs. And I had this moment where I thought, I have to go downstairs sometime. And they know something's happened. And I had the choice. Do I tell them the secret or do I just, just suck it and pretend nothing? No, 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 no. I'm not gonna, let's all pretend there's nothing going on here. And I thought, you know what? What better way to get know, to know some people? By being honest and open. And I just shared my heart with them, you know. I shared everything else upstairs. So I thought, why not just share my heart? <laughs> but um, it was this story that I told Fiona. It was too good to, to keep and contain. So I thought I shared with you. Is that all right? Can we keep it secret? Can we keep it secret? Please, guys. But um, why don't you stand to your feet this morning? We're going to read scripture. But I want to ask you as you stand, don't judge me. You all have your stories. You all have your stories. I'm just brave enough to tell mine. So, sheesh. But this morning, let's read scripture. As Ephesians 3, verse 6 to 13, Paul is writing to a church. And he's, he's, he's got the secret, this news that's too good to keep silent. And he's trying to deposit in their heart. And we're going to get it into our hearts this morning. So let's read together. It says this, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people. Before we read on, in my Bible, I've taken a pen and I've scratched and scrawled again and again underneath the words least deserving. 
I've got to let you know about this very quickly before we read on. You need to know some context here that the guy who is writing this is a man who is not using hyperbole. He's not trying to be falsely humble. He's not trying to write to him and say, listen, you know, he's not saying least deserving just because it sounds nice. No, he's writing truth saying, I was the least deserving of God's grace. If there ever was a man who was, in man's eyes, was too far gone, for the good news of Jesus Christ, here was one guy. Here's a prime candidate. But Paul's writing, I was the least deserving. Why? How do you know this? Because Paul made his profession, he made his fame, he made his living by being a persecutor and a murderer of Christians. That's what he did. Paul did in Acts chapter 7, we, we get introduced to the artist formerly known as Saul before he becomes Paul. And he is, he is there giving, he's giving his thumbs up to Stephen's death, the first martyr. That's Paul. That's his job. He's going, well, yeah, he gives death. He gives a thumbs up to Christian's death. Chapter 9, we meet him again on his way to Damascus, his business trip, where he had, he had loaded up his horse, his horse to go on a business trip, not to go and uh, buy and sell things. No, but to hunt down and persecute Christians and drag them out into the streets and make a spectacle of them before killing them. This was Paul's job. He was a murderer of Christians. So I want to let us know and put this deep in our hearts that no one is too far gone for the gospel. If this is the man who's writing this, the least deserving, no one is too far gone. And actually, sir, ma'am, I want to tell you today, put in our hearts, that actually the darker the case is the greater the chance for God to display his grace. I want us to remind us, before we read one more word, I want to put this in us again and again, that your history will not determine your destiny. In Christ Jesus, your history won't determine your destiny. Your backstory won't be your final story. If you allow, it won't be the defining story either. If you allow the grace of Jesus to get in there and say, though I'm the least, of the, the least deserving, he is good. No one is too far gone. Now, I want to tell you this morning that your sin will not get the most air time in your life. His grace will. If you make the decision today to say, no, I'm not going to allow my sin to have the overriding voice. I'm going to allow his grace to speak loudest. And today, if you want to know what we're doing here, we're not minimizing sin. We're maximizing his grace. Because sin was such a, sin's a big deal. It is such a big deal that someone had to die. But he has died. And his name is Jesus, once and for all, for you and I. For the least deserving. For Paul, murders of Christians. So if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm jacked up, I'm messed up, Gabe. You don't understand my life. You don't know what's going inside. You don't know what I've done. I tell you, have you murdered Christians? No? Then you're not too far gone. If you're at the back going, oh my goodness, I, I have. If you've murdered Christians, then even better news. God used that guy to write most of the New Testament. No one is too far gone. The least deserving. Let's read on. Though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Can you say secret? You guys are good. It was God's intent that now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal purpose, which he carried out and accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. That we come here to allow your word to reveal its secrets, its mysteries, the mysterious plan that was kept hidden for generations and for, for ages past, but now has been revealed to us. I thank you, Father, that you are going to open hearts to this mystery, to this secret, to this power that you're wanting to unleash in us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat this morning? It's good to be in church to preach.
this morning, three points from this text. If you've got a pen or, or, or some, a notepad on your phone, I'd encourage you to take some notes, write down the scriptures so you can validate what I, with what I'm saying. If it's true, you can go check it out in the Bible later. But number one, from this text, I want to tell you the first secret that this text has revealed, that Apostle Paul is trying to reveal to the church. He's leaning in and he's saying, Psst, church in Ephesus, Psst, church, you have more authority than you know. You have more authority than you know. The scripture, Ephesians 3.10, says it was God's intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Let me break that down for you and I this morning. I have underlined, I've circled, I've scribbled underneath the word now in my Bible. Because there's a now reality to the gospel that majority of Christians don't get. He says, now! I bet if Paul had bolds and italicized and, and caps, he would have put, but Now! It's not just some little word that slips in there. He's making sure that we get it, that now through the church, not tomorrow, not when you get your life together, not when you get a promotion, not when you've done the 12 steps to recovery, not when you get your life on track. No, he says, now. The gospel has a now tangible reality to it. And here's the implication, that from the moment you and I first turn our face to Christ and, and we have his life breathed into us, the moment we move from death to life in the spiritual realm, as the moment we become Christ followers, from that moment, from that moment, the Bible tells us, Ephesians 1 verse 3, that you get given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. From that moment, there's a divine deposit into your life. Peter tells us, and 1 Peter says, from that moment, you've been given every spiritual uh, gift that you need for life and godliness. You've been given everything you need for life and godliness. From that moment, I want to tell you, you get the greatest deposit, the gift of a spirit from that moment, because no man can come alive apart from a spirit. And God doesn't give a spirit in installments. He doesn't give a divide his spirit up in parts. He has one whole spirit, and he div- gives them fully to you and I as a deposit, a guarantee of things to come. From day one, you have the greatest power force of the universe, the Spirit of God living inside of you. Not after a course, not after you've done a 21-day fast. All these things are not bad things, but they, they become harmful things when we think those things are the things that give us authority. Now, through the church, there's a now reality to his faith. And Reinhard Bonnke, the great African uh, revivalist and preacher, he puts it this way. He says, from that moment, that first moment you say yes to Jesus, you have the divine crackling. You have omnipotence at your fingertips. Wow. Say it again, Gabe. Okay. From that moment, you have omnipotence at your fingertips. Psst, church. Some of you are like, uh, what? He has the secrets of the gospel being unloaded to you and I this morning. The Bible still goes on. He's breaking it down simply. Now through the church. Here's the amazing thing that my Bible doesn't say. I'm pretty sure every other Bible doesn't say now through a church. It doesn't say through life change or through a denomination or through a preacher or through some charismatic movement or through a, a t- an epoch of time where there'll be a revival. No, no. He says now through the church. Not through some revival meetings. Not through some hyped up guy who gets a revelation. No, through the church. The church. Now, I love this understanding because the word there, the Greek word is ecclesia. It's, it's battering our lenses because in our Western culture, we think church is a place. But he was saying ecclesia is called out ones, called out people, individuals who've been called out by Jesus Christ. And here's the disclaimer I want to make strong is that actually in God's eyes of who the church is, it's not those who gather in a building on a Sunday. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you the church. The only qualification to be a part of the church is not a membership class, not I attend regularly there. I actually have an account with their coffee thing. 
No, 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 no. The church are those people who have been called out by Jesus Christ and have responded to him. Then you're the church. So he says, now through the church. And what I mean by this, if you're here today and you say, uh, I don't know if I'm part of that. What are, you, what are you trying to get at, Gabe? The Bible tells us that he has been pursuing you and I and calling himself, called out and calling himself, us to himself since the beginning of time. Before you were born, it says he chose you. Ephesians 1 says, he chose you before the foundation of the earth. He chose you. He wasn't waiting for you to get into the mood. I'm gonna, I think I'm, I'm going to pursue God now. No, no, he's been pursuing you since you were, before you were born. And even more so, in, in the book of Romans chapter 8, it says, all creation waits and groans for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. It's waiting for, for the curtain of revelation, understanding that, oh, we've got you the sons and daughters of God. Not, hey, brother, I'm a son of God, you know, because I go to church, I'm, you know, do the, no, no, the sons and daughters of God. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind that I'm a son of God. The Spirit of God is alive in me. This, let, me, let me help you here in this moment. We go on and it says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom. Now I want to help you understand the manifold wisdom. Commentators say, in, in, in okay, the broad spectrum of scripture, there's two types of wisdom of God that the, that the writers use. They're talking, there's one, the simple wisdom, and then there's the manifold wisdom. The simple wisdom of God is, is as such. Genesis chapter one, when God stood up and said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. When he said, let there be mountains come out of the ground and Everest popped up and the Alps and Table Mountain. He said, stop Table Mountain, level out. And mountains, mountain ranges came and valleys were plunged. As he said, waters and land dispersed and water went pushed back and land came out into being and stars and galaxies. Do you know what they call that? Simple wisdom of God. That's what the writers write. The simple wisdom of God was that power. Paul's not talking about the simple wisdom. He's talking about the manifold wisdom. In other words, the multifaceted, the multi-layered wisdom of God. And commentators, they, more and more in Paul, as we read his writings, what he was trying to drive at was saying that the manifold wisdom of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the thing that angels long to look into, that, that prophets and, and ages of old only could glimpse dim, dimly but couldn't actually feel. It says, now it's been revealed to you and I, the sons and daughters of God, that God, what is the manifold wisdom of God? The gospel, that he takes dead things and makes them alive. It's the manifold wisdom of God. Let me, let me give you a story to help illustrate this. There was a man, I love the story, I've told it many, many times. There was a man who I first met in uh, Fergie's pub on the beachfront. Shout out to my, my mate Fergie. And I used to go visit there to watch Liverpool games when I didn't have a, a TV for a while. And I met a man named Gary Day there. And uh, Gary and Day and I became friends and we chatted and it didn't really become move much more than that. And I lost touch with him for a little bit. And then a little while later in his story, I'm telling you retrospectively, he moved houses and he moved uh, into another house. But Gary Day, let me give you some background of him. Gary Day was a recluse. He only ever went to work. He'll go home and he'll go to Fergie's pub every night. He had a little tab there. And he, and, and just, and he was a recluse and he was depressed because 10 years earlier his wife had left him. And then his kids, he hadn't seen his kids for 10 years. They lived in the same suburb as him still. He hadn't seen them for 10 years. And this man, everything he had known is just had been ripped apart. He says he had a big role to play in all. He wasn't running away from that. But he said everything inside of him had been shattered and confidence had shattered. So he had become a quiet, reclusive man. He had his little home pub work. Maybe in a different order sometimes. Probably in a different order. 
Um, but what happened was this man, he, he moved homes, and, and, and he thought it was just an economic decision. He's going to move into a smaller flat above somebody else, but, but little did he know that actually heaven's agenda was at play, that the God who chose him before the foundation of the earth was calling. And he moves in upstairs, but actually little did he know that the person below him was a lady named Deline, who goes to our Tableview campus. And Deline is a lovely lady, not knocking her, but I won't tell you, in the natural, she's an ordinary lady. Her story is actually of brokenness and there's been pain as well, but, but God has started to restore something of who Deline was. But Gary Day moved above Deline, Deline Dix, who lives underneath him. But little did know, in this moment, it just seemed like, oh, I've got a new neighbor. But actually, God was looking, heaven was looking and saying, I've released my agent of omnipotence. The one who's got omnipotence at their fingertips, the one who's through the church, I'm going to let the manifold wisdom of God be released and known to Gary Day. In every sense of the word, a dead man walking. And Deline started to befriend, befriend him. It was nothing dramatic. There was no uh, keys in the background when they talked. So it wasn't like, whoa, this is a spiritual moment. No, this became friends. Deline said, actually, why don't you come to church? And Gary started to come to church. And, and as he started to make friends there, and started to get a bit more comfortable. And, um, and he started to respond to what was being preached. And actually saying, wow, actually, no one is too far gone for this gospel. If God can save that guy. And, and Gary one day put his shaking hand up. And I remember we prayed with him. And Gary made the decision to say, actually, I'm going to trust Jesus with my life. I'm going to stand over. And, and a dead, thing, a dead man came alive. And it was a dramatic change. He used to tell me, he said, I love coming to church because I like to walk into a building where people know my name. He says, but he, says, but he said to me this amazing thing. He says, that people know my name. But then the one day he says, but, but now it's amazing that God knows my name. Profound statements. And, and the incredible thing was Gary Day, actually it was this, we, th- we, we thought we might have many years to restore things, but Gary Day, Day, Day died just a mere five, six months after giving his life to Jesus. He had a heart attack and uh, I was there and it was dramatic, but a uh, good friend of mine. But Gary Day, the incredible thing in the story was in those six months, we started to say, Gary, God wants to restore your relationship with your kids. Gabe, you know, this is cool, but I don't know, if, I don't know about this. I said, Gary, God, God's doing something. And, and I remember the story as it went. And one day when he phoned me, he said, Gabe, when he was weeping, he says, I've sent my boys a Facebook message and they want to meet. Ten years. He said, Gabe, I, I don't know if I can do this. And we pray. He said, Gary, the Spirit of God's in you. Yeah, yeah, but, but maybe I need to do a course on parent-kid relation. No, 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 Gary, the Spirit of God's in you. And they, they reconciled. They, they were forgiven. It was the most powerful moment. It was not easy. It was not without its clumsiness. It was this thing where teenage boys met their dad for the first time in ten years. And Gary Day, I remember phoning me, weeping, going, Gary, I can't believe what has happened in six months. I can't believe that dead things have come alive. Manifold wisdom of God at work. Gary Day died three weeks after meeting his kids. And a recluse, a lonely man, a man who had had no influence or any impact on the world for 10 years except destruction to his kids for not seeing them, at his funeral had a packed auditorium of men and women who had heard his story in church and had befriended him. And a men and women who had said, actually, if God can do it with Gary, maybe he can do it with me. And as that story was preached, I remember that day many hands going up saying, actually, I need to trust Jesus to make me alive. You see, we think it's a simple thing, but God says, actually, because of my agent of omnipotence, you'll be his neighbor. I'll change the destiny of a family. Agents of omnipotence. I want to let you in the secret that you and I are agents of omnipotence with authority, more authority than we know. I could tell story upon story, but today I'm not here just to try and convince you. I want to remind you that actually knowing that you have authority is not enough. We have to exercise it. Maybe you've seen many times, you've heard the word, I wanted to spell this myth, people in the church world, if you're new to church, I apologize. This is unhelpful theology sometimes where people say, wow, that preacher, he's so anointed. Wow, man of God. It's an unhelpful thing 
Because actually, the, all we, I, I understand about anointing in a new covenant lens is that anointing is simply obedience. When you step out and believe what God has put inside of you, that actually I'm going to trust Him in this moment, God says, I'll anoint that. I'll give authority where you step out. And He has the implication for you now that obedience, when no one is looking, if you can be obedient when no one is looking, He will give you favor when everyone is looking. I think that should be a tweet or something on a billboard or somewhere. But more than that, I think it should be in our hearts. If we can be obedient when no one is looking, he will give you favor when everyone is looking. Authority comes when we just start saying yes to him in the small things, when we say no to the things that we shouldn't be doing. We think they just seem small and significant, but heaven's looking saying, watch the omnipotence, watch it, watch it, watch these people tap into the authority they have as they start to realize who they are. I, I believe this, that actually God is whispering, uh, like almost the sense of when Gary Day uh, stutteringly put his hand up and prayed this prayer, I believe God was leaning in and going, psst, angels, check it out here. You think this is exciting, dead people coming alive. You ain't seen nothing yet. Watch what I'm going to do with this family. Watch what I'm going to do with the funeral. Watch what I'm going to do with the people who are going to come. Watch what I'm going to do, the ripple effects of one man getting saved because one lady lived beneath him and actually had faith enough to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Agents of omnipotence seeing dead things come alive. This is how simple it is, but the authority we have to know. Life changes church. Psst, you have more authority than you know. You have more authority than you know. Let's move on. Second point this morning, for time's sake, of this text, is that you have more authority than you know. Secondly, you have more access than you know. The scripture in verse 12 says it this way, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Here's the thing. The forgiveness of your sins is great, but it was never the aim. Forgiveness of your sins is the means to get you to the aim. Let me say that again and I'll explain. Forgiveness was never the aim. It was the means to get you to the aim. Peter puts it like the writer. Peter puts it this way. He says, Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, comma, to bring us to God. The aim of your salvation is God himself. He has the biggest secret I'd love to tell you and let you in on. You get God. It blows my mind that I get a relationship with God. I get to know him in all my flaws and defects and brokenness. I still get to know God, not because I'm great, but because through Christ and his faithfulness, through my faith in Christ, I can come boldly and confidently to God. Well, this is huge, and too many people don't get this. And I want to, can I get a bit teachy? I'm going to just teach a little bit. If you've got notes, write it down. This is, hopefully you'll get this stuff. But Genesis chapter 1, this is huge for you and I. Genesis chapter 1, the heavens and the earth were made simultaneously. They were created. God created the heavens and the earth. It wasn't I'm creating the heavens. Move a little bit higher, 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 higher. Great. Now, earth. No, no. Simultaneously, Scripture says the heavens and the earth were created. They were created together. Because when God walked in the cool of the day, it wasn't geographically. It was there, heavens and earth with man. God, though, here's the amazing as we move along rapidly. Stick with me. Is that God, the representative of a heavenly realm, and, and Adam, the prototype uh, hum, of humanity, the representative of an earthly realm. I've said it many times before, but their first interaction, the birth of Adam, was face to face with God. So heaven and earth were face to face. They were together, joined, not separated. Man was engaged with heaven from day one. We were created to explore both realms and know both realms. Stick with me. But the problem with, with our sin is that sin brought into our mind space a Gnostic thinking. 
where I'm a, I'm a spirit, I'm a physical being, and I've got to get the spiritual realm, which is out there, somewhere up there. In the, in the, in one sense, you'll hear that they're both as, da- as dangerous to each other. People will say, Christians will say, no, I've got to send up a few prayers to the man upstairs, eh? It's thinking in the church, we've got to shout, God! I don't think you can hear me today. God! And we shout up there as if he's up there, the separation. And then another one of where the, the, there's this, the, the, the secret, the universe, the, the world tell us is the secret is put out good thoughts to the universe and they'll come back to you. As if there's this, no, uh, uh. no, 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 no. God is saying, no, no, this is, this is the reality. I've created heaven and earth together. So much so in Genesis 28, Jacob has a dream. And he has this dream as he's lying there. The dream is of a ladder that's joining earth to heaven. And he said, I saw angels ascending and descending on it. It's like, wow. And the Jewish people held on to that. They're like, that is amazing. We, we can somehow get up to God, call God down, or we can get up to him. The amazing thing, the fulfillment of that comes in John chapter 1, which is so profound. Jesus comes, and one of the first things Jesus says is this. He says, you will see heaven open, and you'll see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. He got in there before Led Zeppelin. Jesus was saying, actually, this was the verse that was so powerful because the Israel nation will know. We know that dream. We know that promise. And God, Jesus says, I am the ladder. And this is so huge because Jesus, stick with me for a little bit. I know, we're getting somewhere. Is that Jesus came in, in, two, in two ways. It's the, word, the, the, the theological word is hypostatic union, which means that when Jesus came, he came as fully God and fully man. This is why this theology is huge. We've got to understand and believe this. He did not come as, just, as God. He didn't come as man and, oh, found out that he was God. No, no. He came as God and came as man because he was restoring something that was broken. He was bringing heaven and earth together. So much so that we're getting somewhere. This gets better and better. That in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, go read. It says, this is the purpose that God is bringing heaven and earth together and everything underneath it in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm, what I'm trying to drive at, okay? So that's just some theological framework and grid of that these two things coexist. And some days, I don't know about you, I wake up and I feel just close to God. Or there's moments, worship, we're like, wow, God is good. Feel close to God. And there's other moments where maybe I haven't been seeking Him as I should, or I've been not doing what I should, or I've messed up, just messed up, and I feel a bit far from God. That reality, once we've come to Christ, does not exist Because, actually, the Bible tells us that we have been made one in Christ. The Bible says this, and the understanding the scripture, I love it, says it's not through whether you are doing well that you can come boldly and confidently. It's not that if you've fasted or if you prayed or if you've done the rain dance or if you've, you've done enough things or you've got enough ticks of good deeds on your list that get you to come boldly and confidently to God. You get God, why? It says it there, because of Christ and our faith in Him. Because Scripture tells us that he has not lost his humanity. He is our man in glory. He is the son of God and the son of man still to this day. He is still our representative. He is still the only man who's been able to please the Father. So we get union with him. Heaven and earth collide. We get access to the things of heaven now. Now. Not one day when. Because of Christ. This is present tense. We can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Wow! Am I the only one excited? This is amazing because I want to tell you, this is the incredible thing. Scripture says it, repent for the kingdom is at hand. You've ever read that, heard that? 
charismatic guy on the corner say, repent, the kingdom's at hand. What, what often is in my mind is that the kingdom of God is like a time now. Coming closer. It's coming closer. You've got to make rights. It's coming closer any day now. But actually, the writers weren't saying that. They were using figurative language, saying the kingdom is at hand. It's within reach. It's here. It's here. He's come. He's not come. He's, the next time he comes is not to, not to redeem, not to, it's, it's to take us home. This is the understanding. The kingdom's here for you and I, within reach, within touch of agents of omnipotence. We've got omnipotence at our fingertips. More authority than we know, more access than we know. The understanding, I, uh, I love this reality because years ago, I was uh, watching cricket in Zimbabwe. I was a small little man, little boy. Um, and uh, I was there, and we watched cricket at the Harari Sports Club. Most times, whenever the protests had come to play, this was in the late 90s. So we had Sean Pollock, Daryl Cullen, Gary Kirsten. Some of you might know these names. Some of you are going, was there anyone before A.B. De Villiers? No. But this is the understanding. These guys came, and I remember what we used to do. At the, we used to go with all the young guys. Maybe you were like me before. I had the miniature bats and the little things. And the, as the players came through, hey, hey, Polly, Polly. Because, you know, Polly was my man, you know, because red hair. I was like, hey, 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 we're the same. We're the same. There's hope for me. Um, that's how I consoled my heart. And, uh, and you know, there was some moments. There was a whole th- th- throng of us, and some got their bats to go and get signed, and others, oh, we had to wait hours, hours, hours. What happened was one day at Harari Sports Club, it started to rain. And I'd been there a lot of times, so I knew if I went around the back there behind the, the bathroom, the toilets, I could come around the other side and lurk under an afdaki and wait for the play to resume. So I remember doing that and looking like a bit of a washed up rat in the corner there. <laughs> but I was like, I love cricket. This is what we do, you know. And as I was hanging there, I came around the corner under the afdaki and who was there whitening or doing something with his pads was Sean Pollock himself. I was like, you joking. And Polly looked up. I don't know if it was sympathy for me or it was a connection that your redheads unite forever. Um, but he said, hey, 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 you can't hang out here in the rain. Why don't you come with me? Come, come inside. Why don't you come hang out inside? No word of a lie. And I remember him going around the other way with Sean Pollock pulling me in with security. Hey, he's with me. And I going past the other guys. Hey, how's it is? You need me to sign. You want me to sign? I went into the change room. Just to let you know, Daryl Cullinan was playing table tennis with Adam Bacher on a physiotherapist's desk. Promise you. And I sat there. Oh. This is the whole point of the story was to tell you that I'm really cool. But secondly, to tell you my access inside was because I'm with him. I'm not greater than anything else, but actually I get God because I'm through Christ and through my faith in him. I'm with him. And this is the secret, the confidence that we get every day when the enemy comes and says, yeah, but you've fallen short. But I'm with him. No, 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 no. Look at, look at your rejection. Yeah, but I'm with him. Look at your broken. I'm with him. I'm with him. I get God. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's a promise. This is the secret. He's this, this is the secret of the gospel that's being unleashed into our hearts this morning. And finally and thirdly, we have more authority than we know. We have more access than we know. But the third point is it will cost you more than you know. Now, here's my honesty as a preacher. When I started to prep this week, I stopped at verse 12 because it just was nicer to end there. But the problem is the stanza of Paul's writing ends in verse 13. And I thought, ah, I have to be faithful to the word. Ah, just wanted to be a nice, uplifting one. The problem is the last verse says this. It's almost like, what? It's, just like, it's not that exciting. Actually disappointing sometimes, if I'm honest. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Suffering. Ugh. Don't want to underline that one. Trials. Oh, even worse. 
Here's the thing. Here's the understanding. Paul is writing the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the secret of the gospel that's been hidden for generations, that's been revealed in Christ, that now through the church, that we have access to God himself. He's writing these mysteries. He's not writing them from a mountaintop at the end of a spiritual retreat, floating and meditating. Pen these down, young man. You have more authority than you know. No, he wasn't doing that. Paul wrote this from a prison cell. He had been beaten and bruised and thrown into prison for his faith. He's lying dirty, bloody. No one's attended to him for days. He's lying at the base of his cell, and he's, he's penning a letter for a church to put faith in him and to remind him of the secrets of the universe. He's writing this to them from a prison cell. Something is huge here because I tell you, Paul and, and my echoing this morning is not to whip us into some charismatic fervor or say, take a sip of the Kool-Aid, drink it, drink it deep, you can do it. No, that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to remind us that actually this will cost you everything. This is not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. It's the dichotomy of the gospel. Jesus says it's free, free, but you're going to have to give up everything for it. I want to let us know, I think it'll be wrong, any, any end of Scripture. Scripture, we have to understand how the story ends often. This man, Paul, tradition tells us that he died for his faith. Not with a light and cuddly lethal injection. He had his head chopped off. The man who wrote this penned these words. Most of the disciples, every one of them bar one, died gruesome deaths for their faith. just want to let you know on, the, on this. This is the secret, so don't get often told. The man, John the Baptist, Jesus said, John the Baptist is the man, the greatest born of woman. Imagine that as a word from Jesus. You're the greatest man born of woman ever. It's like, come on. It's a cool word. Put that on a coffee cup. Greatest born of woman. Like Steve Carell, best boss in the world. Bought it myself. Here's the thing. Greatest man, greatest born of woman he responds in an amazing way. He says, you must increase, I must decrease. He starts to tell his disciples, follow Jesus. He starts to, it's just an incredible response, saying, actually, it's going to cost me everything. You're gonna, Jesus, it's you, it's you. Take my disciples, take my ministry. You're the one I've been waiting for. In a, with authority and with access. He says, ah, yes, you have it, Jesus. You have it all. And then he runs afoul of Herod while this is all happening. And Jesus' ministry is taking off his one subsiding. Herod says, actually, buddy, throwing you in prison. Oh, I don't like you. So he gets thrown into prison. And all of a sudden, John, the greatest man born of woman. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. He probably told God. That's on his Twitter bio. Greatest born of woman. Only one person on Twitter still. Okay. Sorry. But this is what happens in the prison. Thing that naturally would happen in my heart and your heart too. The, The easy things. You must increase. I must decrease. All of a sudden, trials and suffering. He says, he sends word to Jesus saying, please go ask Jesus if he really is the one that we are waiting for. All of a sudden, gets a little bit nervous, going, is it worth it? Basically saying, is this worth it? Is this worth it? And you know what, an amazing thing, I've said it before, but it's so profound. Jesus sends back words. Jesus doesn't even go visit him. Jesus doesn't go and say, okay, I've got to go. And John, hi, here's some flowers and chocolate, just visiting you here. No, 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 he doesn't even go visit him. Jesus sends, says, his disciples says, go tell John. And he starts to quote the prophet Isaiah. And John would know the prophet Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah quote, uh, prophesied about John himself. So John knows Isaiah. And, and he's a good Jewish boy, so he knows all this stuff. And Jesus says, actually quotes Isaiah to him and says, Tell John that the, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the dead are coming back to life. Tell John that. He's quoting a scripture to him. So basically he's saying, I am the one you're waiting for. I am. I'm the one. The problem is, 
That scripture, if you go read the scripture Jesus quoted, Jesus didn't quote the whole scripture. He left out the last little bit. The whole scripture is, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the dead are coming back to life, and the prisoners are being released from prison. Jesus says, they all, this stuff is happening. And John's like, and you're going to come and rescue me? No, you're going to die in there. Sorry, I'm the one, but you're going to die in there. What a downer to end on, Gabe. No, I think it's the most freeing thing when we start to see the one who is worth everything. It will cost us more than we know. I want to say to you today, I'm not prophesying any early deaths. But I want to prophesy death to respectability. I want to prophesy death to being understood, death to trying to control people's response, death to self. There's, you see, Colossians 1 verse 27 says it this way. It says, Paul's writing, what is, well, all this is summed up in one little verse. Colossians 1 27 says this. Paul says, this is the secret. He uses those words. This is the secret. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's the thing, it's beautiful. Christ in me, that means I've got authority. Everything Christ has, I have. Christ in me, because Christ has access to the Father, I have access to the Father. Christ in me, but he wants out. He doesn't want to just stay in me. He wants me to take up responsibility to give him to others, to be an agent of omnipotence, to bring that authority, that access, and bring it to the world that desperately need it. Here is the understanding. There is a responsibility for you and I to pick up in this. I never want you to leave here thinking that there's no responsibility to carry. This burden is easy as burden is light, but there's still a burden. And it's to carry his life to a world that needs it. You see what happens? The story finds its, f- its culmination, actually not in Ephesians, but in the book of Revelation. Because John, the, the apostle, is writing the th- only other letter that we've, we know that's written to the church in Ephesus. And he's writing in Revelation chapter 2. And he says, tell the church in Ephesus, that Jesus says, I, I, I see your good deeds, I see your, I see your, your good worship, I see your, all the good things you're doing, it's wonderful. But Jesus says, but I have this one thing against you. You've forsaken your first love. Jesus says, in that, in that moment, he was saying to him, actually, it's not about all the doing, it's not about actually getting caught up in, in, in the amazing authority and what can we do for Jesus. actually saying, all of that is rooted in will you love me? If you love me, it's back to what we said last week, about love me first. And we says you're forsaking your first love, not meaning hey, the one that you found first. No, it's also meaning continually, will you continually put him first above every other love and affection in your heart, saying you are the only one for me. You are the only one for me, Jesus. You're the only one for me. Not there's everything else pulling me in different ways, but you are the only one for me. Our authority, our access, and all of these things, the, the responsibility we carry is found in this. Do not forsake your first love. That was the last words written to the church in Ephesus. This morning, we're going to land. And I want to pray for us, but we're going to land and come to the table of God's grace, and we'll be done in five minutes. But I'm going to ask, we're going to take communion this morning, and, and I believe God is going to set people free from self. Self-obsession, self-loathing, self-hating. He's going to set us free from self so we can pick up the Christ in me reality. The emphasis in that scripture, he has the secret. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not me, it's Christ. Will you put him first in your life? Will you come back to the source? Let's pray. Father, this morning we lean in to your word, to your gospel. It's been made known to us, your people. 
we lean into the secrets of heaven that you want to make known. You, you, you tell us the Holy Spirit searches the secret things of the Father and makes them known to his sons and daughters. I thank you this morning. You're leaning and you're whispering. You have more authority than you know. You're whispering into hearts. You have more access than you know. You're whispering. You have more responsibility than you know. Thank you, God. You're not, you're not letting us off the hook. You're pouring the good news of Jesus Christ deep in our hearts that we'll believe this good news. We'll believe it, could believe it, and we'll continue by Christ and you alone. We can come with boldness and confidence. And we start to say we're dying to self, respectability, people's thoughts of us. We're actually picking up your voice and picking up what you're calling us. I thank you in all of these things. You're preparing yourself a people, a people that are for the world and for your glory. I thank you for this, Jesus. Before you open your eyes, lastly, before we take communion, if you're here today and you said, Gabe, I, I've, I don't know if, if I actually am a part of this thing, the church. Not, I go to church, but I don't know if I'm part of the church. I don't know if, I, if my soul is alive to Jesus, but I want it to be. I want it to be. Or even if in the same breath, if you're saying that my heartbeat for Jesus is dulled, but today as a word is preached, I want to believe this. I want to believe this truth. I want to believe that I have access to God and I want to lay hold of Him. If that's you, just raise your hand this, this morning. The reason I ask you to do that is just because it's an activation of our faith. Thank you, thank you. There's two, is there a few more? Three, thank you. Just put, it's just for me, it's not about me. It's not even to get heaven's attention. It's just to say, God, I'm surrendering. Thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Father, I pray as these hands go up. I thank you, God, that you are saying, I receive, you respond to faith. And in the small step of faith, God, you pour authority. You're opening up the, the access. You're opening up this to Christ and Christ alone. I thank you, Jesus. You're reminding us of who we are and whose we are. We're not running away from that. Thank you, Jesus, for that. As we land, I'm going to ask us, we, I'm just going to ask, if it's okay, John, are you able just to come up quickly for us? And we're going to take communion. So if you can come take your, the communion thing, I just see has gone on the left or right. Why don't we do that together? Communion table is open. All it takes is belief in Jesus Christ. Whether you've done that before or never before, do it in this moment. Why don't we come to the table together quickly? Take an emblem. We can do it. Feel confident. With boldness and confidence, you can come. Once you get back to your seats while we're waiting for everyone to sort. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Close your eyes if that helps. The cup we hold is uh, representative of his blood. And the, the bread we hold or the biscuit is representative of his body. Those aren't actually his blood and his body. We have something better. We have the fullness of Christ indwelling us. His blood that washes us and covers us for the, all eternity. His blood is enough. 
for past, present, and future sins. His body is enough to make us whole. So as you hold these things representing, you remind yourself, I have Christ in me, the hope, the confidence, the assurance of glory. as we're focusing on to read this out of Ephesians 2 from verse 4 it says but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by his grace you have been saved and God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not a form this is not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So, Father, I thank you that it is all about you. I thank you, Lord, we would be the omnipotent ones that powered our fingertips because of who you are and what you did on the cross. Your body broken and your blood poured out so that we may have life and that heaven may touch earth to be within hand's reach. I thank you, Father. We take these emblems now, your body broken. We acknowledge you, Father. Say thank you, Lord. Father, we take this wine which is represented of your blood poured out so that we may have life. I thank you, Jesus, that despite of my transgressions, you have life waiting. I thank you, Lord. than you know. Psst. It'll cost you more than you know. But don't forget, no one is too far gone for all of this because of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you're awakening your sleeping bride to her greatest days. Now through the church. 
manifold wisdom of God will be made known. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.